I'm Franklin Graham, and first of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, your support of Operation Christmas Child. This is an incredible opportunity to reach children uh, around the world, and especially with 2020, uh, COVID-19. This is the first time in the history of the world where the world has been locked down. It's never happened before. It just makes me think that maybe the Lord Jesus Christ will be coming back soon. And if that's the case, we need to be working even harder now than ever. And we need your help. We need your prayers. We need your support as we reach out around the world in Jesus' name, helping children by giving them a gift, discipling them for those that receive Christ, discipling them in God's word so that they can go out and reach their friends and their family with the truth of the gospel. Multiplication. So thank you for your help. Thank you for your support, your prayers. We got a lot of work in front of us. God bless you. Good morning, Grace. Those of you who are sitting out here or watching us via live stream, I want to welcome everybody here. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad you're a part of our service today. And just to kind of keep us on track, we, we come here to worship the Lord. That's our primary uh, focus. That's why we come. And, um, you know, you worship the Lord in different ways in terms of um, you know, reading Scripture, praying, meditating on the Word. We, do, we worship the Lord by um, giving. And giving is in different ways. You know, we don't talk about giving here in grace. I, I don't remember speaking about it 15 times in the last 20 years. But um, we're thankful for the Lord's provision uh, here at Grace. I just want to say that out loud. Uh, he has been so, so faithful to provide. And we also um, give in ways like this, Operation Christmas Child. And um, I'm sure when you walked in, I don't know how many boxes are still out there, but I think quite a few. Uh, we started with 50. It was a nice Christmas tree, but it probably isn't that way anymore. Um, because I'm sure there were some first service that took boxes. But Operation Christmas Child is a ministry of Franklin Graham, and um, it literally has impacted lives around the world for the gospel of Christ. One of the things that you don't see that we see when we go to Atlanta in December is they'll show us a video, and in that video you see um, kids opening their boxes and, you know, you know how kids are at Christmas time, but I mean, these kids are just unwrapping these little boxes with little things in them, and it just means so much to them. And within the box, you know, there's a track, a gospel track. And um, so I just want to encourage you that while we might look at it as, you know, hey, this is just a, some kind of gift, I mean, this is a gift that literally has within it its contents the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're interested in when we. Uh, support Operation Christmas Child, we know that the gospel of Christ is being dis literally disseminated throughout the world. Um, if you take a box, I would just ask that you fill that box. <laughs> um, you know, um, because there are only so many boxes. We have 50, and we can order more. We want to order more. So as soon as those 50 are gone, or close to being gone, we want to order more. Um, the youth will be taking a trip in December to Atlanta um, to help pack boxes, and uh, I'll be going on that trip as well. The deadline for uh, turning in your box is November 15th. Within the box, there are two pieces of paper. Um, one gives you 
suggestions as to what to put in the box. And I would say these are strong suggestions. Um, it might just have suggestions there, but one of the things that is done in Atlanta in the warehouse is they'll take a box and open it, and then you have to check for its contents. And there are so many things that are not acceptable. Now, they don't just throw them out and don't do anything with them. They give them to other ministries. They go out for ministry. But if you can stick as close as you can to this list, that would be fantastic. Uh, it helps the workers um, who are actually on the lines, kind of going through the boxes and everything. You'd be surprised at what comes in those boxes. Um, also, within this box, you'll find a label. And the label has on it a boy, girl, you pick one. And then the age range, 2 to 4, 5 to 9, and 10 to 14. Now, the reason I mention those age ranges is because typically um, you'll find a lot of boxes for the 2 to 4 and the 5 to 9. But having gone over there several years, the 10 to 14 slot, is, it is harder to fill. But uh, it takes a little more effort, a little more creativity to think about 10-year-olds to 14-year-olds. But I would just say if you're going to pick an age group, you know, I'd encourage you, maybe if you're going to take two boxes, you know, make one of them 10 to 14. Uh, boys, girls, you know, they just have different interests at that age. But um, it's a tremendous ministry. Our church has been involved with it for years. And uh, we just really, really appreciate the ministry of Franklin Graham. I was telling him first service, you know, he wasn't always walking with the Lord like he needed to be. And you see how God, he just took him and moved him. And, and look what he's doing now. I mean, that last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, they had that prayer march. I mean, just, um, he has really given his life completely over to the Lord. And we appreciate his ministry. He is a leader, make no mistake about it. He is one of the leading voices in, for evangelicalism in our uh, country today, without a doubt. So we want to support his ministry. We want to support what they're doing. So I just encourage you to take a box. Uh, with you as you leave uh, today. Uh, the next thing, you should have had on your chair when you came in a blue sheet of paper. And uh, we have been uh, here at Grace doing readings like um, through different books. We went, we just, if you, you may not be finished with the Psalms, and if you're not, that's fine, there's grace. But um, this, our next reading starts today. And uh, we're going to be reading chronologically the miracles of Christ. Now, if you look on your blue sheet of paper, you'll see, like, today's date. So today you'll read John 2, 1 through 11, and I'm going to read that for us this morning. But if you go down, as you go down there, if you look at, like, uh, Tuesday, October 6th, and you see that miracle of the Lord, um, you'll see there Mark 1 and Luke 4. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. Each has a different author. And each comes from a different place and writing to a different audience. Luke tends to be a lot more detailed. And you're going to find as you're reading those miracles, just different things there that you're going to have to consider uh, by each author because they wrote to a different audience and they're a different personality. And it comes out. Like I said, especially Luke being a doctor, I mean, he's very, very detailed. So as you're reading through there, don't get to Tuesday and go, well, I'm just going to read Mark. No, read both of them. And I gave him an assignment first service. So I'm going to give you the same assignment. As you're reading through that, just make two or three observations. Maybe things that, that, that are different in, in what's being said in terms of how Mark may have written it versus um, Luke. Just write down your observations. I think you'll find those very interesting. 
I've always said points of observation are points of teaching. You observe it, you can teach it. it, it you just got to, it's, it's there. It'll excite you so much you won't even be able to stand it. You'll be saying, that, I really want to teach this. So um, I encourage you as much as possible to stick with that. Every single Sunday until we're finished with the miracles, we'll be about the middle of November, um, you'll have these sheets on your chairs so that you can keep up with the reading. And if you get behind, don't, you know, don't stress over it. Just keep going through the readings because I know one thing, through the Psalms, I've, I received many, many um, encouraging words about just people who read through them and have ministered to them on a particular day, at a particular time, things were going on. And really, as you've read through the Psalms, haven't you noticed how applicable they are for our lives today and the things that we're facing as a nation? So I would just encourage you to um, get, a, get a hold of this and, and let the Lord just, even if you're using it for your quiet times, that would be a tremendous thing for you to do. So I just wanted to encourage you uh, in that way. All right. So this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and go to John in the second chapter. And as you stand as we read... John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. One of the things that uh, the Lord has been doing in my life personally, challenging me on, is being in awe of who He is. I don't know if that, how that hits you, but that just is something that um, you can kind of get methodical in your Christian life and just kind of go through the motions. And I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't want that. You know, and, and when I can see that settling in, I'm like, I don't, I don't want that at all. I want to be in awe of who you are. And I think one of the greatest uh, ways that we can be in awe of the Lord is reading about his life when he was here on earth, the things that he did, and to step back and go, wow. Okay, so I want us to uh, read this morning John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, look what it says. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? I remember being in a service one time and a lady was performing the ceremony. And um, she was using this text. And she said, See, Jesus was even sassy to his mother. And at that moment, Teresa put her hand on my leg so that I wouldn't stand up because I wanted to stand up and say, Ma'am, you're absolutely wrong, but I didn't. That word there that he uses is a term of endearment, of great love and tenderness toward his Lord, I mean, toward, toward um, his, his uh, mother. And so... In no way is he being sassy at all. So if you had that in your mind, which you probably did not, get it out of your mind. So it says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water in which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, 
Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then that which is poor, you have kept the good wine until now. Now here's the purpose of the miracle. Every miracle, as you're reading through there, has a purpose. Okay? When I was in graduate school, our professor was teaching through this miracle, and he asked a bunch of graduate students, hey, what's the purpose of this miracle? And we're all looking for these, you know, glamorous answers. We're like, okay, well, what could it be? Well, the purpose is right here stated in verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. That was the purpose of this miracle, to manifest the glory of the Lord. And his disciples believed in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. So, Lord, um, thank you that we can read your word. Thank you that we can consider what's being said for our lives. Um, Thank you for the freedom that we have to be here today. Help us not to take that freedom for granted. Thank you for each one that will participate this morning in worship. I pray that our worship is glorifying to you. I pray that we've come with minds prepared to worship, that we're not just attending church, but that we're ready to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is simply, meeting together is simply preparation for us when we are finally in your presence worshiping you. So I pray that we've come with prepared hearts, teachable hearts, and I pray that your spirit would encourage us this morning as we sing and as we consider what you say uh, in your word to us. Uh, May we glorify you this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, um, Chris Tomlin said that uh, worship is not so much about singing as it is about seeing. So that's our prayer this morning is that the uh, Lord will give us spiritual eyes to see with. Amen.
I want to see I want to see Spirit, breathe in one, open power. 
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, burn through the fiercest drought and storm. More heights of love, more depths of peace, with fears are still.
worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
fantastic there's nothing like singing to the Lord and that will be inter- uninterrupted one day and you know what will be absent sin Wouldn't that be nice last night I had an out of body experience about 10 o'clock my Razorbacks won a ball game in the SEC Not that many of you care, or any of you care, but it happened. And, um, (laughs) oh my goodness. Um, This morning's text, and the text for us for the next few weeks, is such a special, special text. Um, I like to go verse by verse. I think it's the way to teach the Word myself. And sometimes you land in something and you stay there a while and the audience goes, man, how long is it going to take him to get through? But wouldn't you rather be found studying the Word of God than just someone giving their opinions about something when the Lord comes? Um, This section of Scripture is just so loaded with many things to consider. And I believe that's why Paul gave it to Timothy. He wanted him to consider all the blessings that a person has in Christ. I want us to have prayer before we begin this morning because I really, really need you to hang in there with me and pay attention and... um, I hope you see the Lord. That's what I want you to see as we, as we study through this, okay? So let's bow together. Lord, uh, we just commit um, our time to you. Knowing, Lord, that um, you have given us your word as a guide. And um, we need your help. And we need your help this morning in further understanding this tremendous statement that Paul makes to Timothy in a time when he himself was going through tremendous persecution and suffering. Help us to be able to take what we hear today and then apply it to our lives. Help this not to just be an exercise 
that we go through, but help it to be a meaningful time when we are forced to consider what's being said in light of our faith and trust in you and in light of the importance of living our lives to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was 13 years old, I went to a youth conference. Um, I grew up in southwest Louisiana, and there were, I don't know, 10 to 15 churches that were part of a Bible, a Bible, uh, Bible churches that would come together for conferences and such. And we had a pretty big youth ministry that we were a part of in that, got to meet a lot of like-minded people. Because in southwest Louisiana, it's heavily Roman Catholic. So when I say you don't run into many evangelicals, I mean that. That is the truth. So when you find a Bible teaching church, which there were a couple of of Bible teaching churches in Lake Charles where I grew up, um, but there was only one Bible church. And that town at the time was about 80,000. And there was one Bible church. And we were in that church. But I'll never forget being at this youth rally that we had, and I don't remember who taught. I don't remember that. I just remember him asking the question, are you living your life for the Lord? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, that's a good question. I was saved. I got saved when I was seven. I knew Christ as my Savior. And there's a lot of people that sit in that seat of salvation that know Christ. But how many of us have been challenged in our lives to live for Christ? And when I say live for Christ, I mean all in. I think that's probably not as big as we might think. In this particular text that we look at, the Apostle Paul is writing a statement to his understudy. And remember, we looked at the first part of that statement, did a lot of background and kind of history of that. We looked at this phrase here, it is is a trustworthy statement, which is pistos halogos in the Greek, which simply means faithful the word. So in other words, what Paul is telling Timothy is, look, this stuff is true. Not that the other things he weren't, he wasn't, was writing wasn't true, but he's emphasizing that, hey, Timothy, you can count on this. You can take it to the bank and make the deposit. And he says, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. We talked about that last week. We said that if we have died with him, identified with him, trusted in Christ as our Savior, we are guaranteed heaven. We're guaranteed his presence. So, as we sang this morning, right, in the song, no one can take you away from the Lord. If you're in Christ, it's done. You believe that? If you're in Christ, it's done. Okay? You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are new. You're a different person. And at salvation, you've been sealed by the Spirit. And here's what's awesome. No one can remove that seal. No one can do that. So if you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. And in this statement he makes, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. 
He's guaranteeing the believer presence with the Lord. And we looked at that last week. And remember one of the passages we talked about, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Right? The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we here alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. And for what? Forever be with the Lord. Okay? So, he's guaranteeing Timothy this, and he's including himself in the statement. For if and since we died with him, if that's the case, we shall also live with him. And then he comes to this area here. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In this particular section here, right there, he is dealing with the issue of sanctification. He's not dealing with the issue of justification. He's already dealt with that, right? He's dealt with that up here. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. He's already talked about salvation. Now, I will say this, and I need to say this at this point. There are some, some theologians that believe that you must endure or you won't live with him. And they take this statement, if we deny him, he will also deny us. They'll say, well, if you don't endure to the end, you won't be with him. But if you look at the statement, he's already guaranteed those who have died with him shall what? You tell me. Live with him. But now he gets to this issue and kind of ups the ante in a little sense because he says if we endure, if some endure, because not everyone's going to endure to the end. You say, hold on a second, Thad. Well, it's true. I'm going to give you some examples in the weeks to come of Christians who did not finish well. They did not endure to the end. Does that mean if they didn't endure to the end that they won't be with him? Answer, no. They'll be with him. The issue is reigning. And that's what he talks about here. So this issue here has to do with one's sanctification. How we live the Christian life. That's very, very important to understand. If you don't distinguish between these two issues, salvation and sanctification, you're not going to have the same viewpoint. You're, you're going to... You're going to go, okay, well, I've got to endure to the end, or Lord, I might not make it to heaven. What does that become if you say that? Works. Works. Are you listening to me? Salvation is based on what? Faith. By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Does everybody understand that? Now, I want to tell you right from the beginning, there are other viewpoints. There are some people that say this absolutely has to do with one's salvation. I say that it's just this statement. But I'm not by myself, just, just in case you want to know, are you in that by yourself? I'm not. I will say that there tend to be a lot more in the other camp than in my camp. Now, I'm comforted by the fact that Warren Wiersbe's in my camp. <laughs> that helps. And there are others, like George Mirage. You ever heard of that theologian? He's with me. Um, but there are some that have the view that I'm presenting to you, that this line deals with justification and these lines right through, if we are faithless, deal with our sanctification. And at the end, he ties it up in a nice, neat bow and says, Hey, look, if we're faith, faithless, he's what? He's faithful. Which ties back up to this. If we're faithless, if we're not enduring to the end, he's keeping his promise. Okay? So, I mean, I'm one of those guys that say, If you're sitting in the seat and you disagree, okay. You know, but... I think in context, you're going to have a difficult time explaining it. But that's just my opinion, right? So you just have to wrestle with it yourself. I've had to wrestle with it, 
and I'm continuing to wrestle with it. But if we look at this line here, it's different from this line. He says if we identify with him, we will live with him if we endure. Okay, endurance speaks about our life lived for the Lord. So that's why I ask you the question, are you living your life for the Lord? And does it matter? Answer the second question, it does matter. It matters how we live and how we endure. And specifically it matters because we teach here at Grace that the next event on the calendar of the Lord is the rapture of the church. And that we believe subsequent to that is the tribulation period. And we believe at the, tri- at the end of the tribulation period, according to Scripture, in Revelation 19, that when the, the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation period, that he will come to set up his what? His kingdom on earth, and he will rule and he will reign. It's interesting here, that word reign means co-regent. So if we endure, right, here's the fact. If we endure to the end then we will reign with him. We'll all live with him, but as we're going to see, this reigning piece, um, Paul speaks a lot to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about how that looks for the believer. Because there is reward and there is loss of reward. Okay, Not everybody in the kingdom is going to have the same position. Okay, And we're going to look more at that next time. I think you'll find that study to be really, really interesting. So, This morning, for our purposes, what I want to do before anything else is just point out these subjects that are in here. So this morning, we're just going to speak about endurance. Next time together, we're going to talk about what it means to reign with Christ. When will that happen? How does that look? What's that based on? And we're going to be looking specifically at 1 Corinthians 3 and looking at what will be the Bema Seat judgment for the believers, okay? And then we'll take some time and that actually connects to this next statement so if you'll stick with me for about three hours next time I'll be able to finish this section here and guys I know um, I mean I went to school and I sat under many professors and I heard different pastors preach and teach and everybody has a different um, kind of approach I'm just a detail guy that's just how God made me I don't apologize for that I'm not going to apologize for unwrapping what God says but I just need you to hang with me. Can you do that? All right. I want to show you this morning what it means. What's Paul talking about with Timothy in terms of the word endure? What does it mean to endure? Okay. And so I want to give you just some things to think about here this morning that are apart from but connected to Second uh, Timothy. First of all, I want you to know that this is a consistent theme, this theme of endurance in the New Testament. You could probably think of verses yourself where the author addresses the issue of endurance. All right? But I want to give you just a few scriptures so that you can chew on those this afternoon. All right? I know you'll do that as you're chewing on, uh-oh, as you're chewing on your fried chicken or whatever it is you're going to eat. All right, look, look at um, Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 12a. In this section, the Apostle Paul is addressing living the Christian life. Okay, that's kind of the theme. And he gives them a long list. He says, be devoted to one another. This is just a little bit of the list. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. What does he say last? Persevering in what? Tribulation. 
listen to me, in the Christian life, there will be suffering. Okay? You don't have to look for it. It's coming. Now, in the context, in the immediate context, Paul's talking about, in 2 Timothy, he's talking about suffering for the gospel. And we do that, right? We suffer for the gospel when somebody is fighting with you in terms of the gospel and they're like using words they shouldn't be using and declaring that Christ is not who he says he is. I mean, there's perseverance that verbally happens in our country. But in the context of 2 Timothy, he's talking about physical suffering, okay, primarily. But there is mental anguish that takes place in the Christian life if you're living for the glory of the Lord. Would you agree with that? That in your Christian life, if you're really going to live separated to the Lord, let me give you an example of that. I didn't give this to him first service. But if you're going to stand on the fact that every life, according to the God's word, every life is valuable, you're going to take a hit. Okay? Because they're going to immediately talk about a woman's right to abort a child. But the scripture speaks different, doesn't it? Right? And so where are you going to stand? Is that a choice you make? It's absolutely a choice you're going to make. And are you going to be fired upon if you make that choice? That, hey, look, every life matters. Yes, you're going to take shots. Okay? So while in the context of 2 Timothy, he's primarily talking about physical suffering that he was enduring and, and that Timothy would endure, there's a mental anguish in the Christian life as we live to the glory of the Lord. That word persevering there is the same word he uses in 2 Timothy, it's the word endurance. Um, this is a really awesome one here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. People tend to skip introductions to books. Please don't do that. They're loaded. And don't skip the end either. They're even more loaded at times. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in, your, in mind your work of faith, labor of love. And look at the way this, this is the way it reads in the Greek. Okay? And the endurance of the hope, not a hope, the hope of the Lord Jesus of us. Of, excuse me, of the Lord of us. And who is the Lord of us? Jesus Christ. I like the way that reads. The endurance of the hope of the Lord of us, who is Jesus Christ. That's good stuff, all right? So in your translation, it's not going to read that way, but he's talking about the endurance of the hope. Hey, guys, we have the hope that it's not always going to be like this. That there's not always going to be tribulation and suffering and trials. But we have the hope that one day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Then this is probably one that all of you are very familiar with. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It's one that you read and you go, ugh. Right? And let's be honest, we've all done that. We read that and we go, really? I mean, is he really telling us to do that? He's saying, consider it all what? Joy. Say that. Consider it how much? All joy, my brethren. When you encounter what? Various trials. Hello? I mean, it's like if you're reading that for the very first time, you're going, what? Think about the Apostle Paul and the setting that we're reading from in 2 Timothy. Question, was he undergoing trials in his life? They didn't just start there. He had been going through them. Okay? And so, here in James, it says, 
when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. The what of your faith? The testing of your faith. Hey, guys, the testing of your faith happens on a regular basis. How do we come through those testing times? Because this is how it happens in life, real practical. You're walking along, things are going grand, they're pretty, you know, pretty standard, and then you turn the corner and it's like, boom. Something happens in your life and you go, man, I wasn't expecting that. That ever happened to you? Right? Hey, look, think about all the apostles and all the suffering they went through. Right? And they turn the corner and death's in front of them for the sake of the gospel. Now, we have it pretty good here in the United States. Right? I mean, if you, how many of you know what Voice of the Martyrs is? You know, you know that organization? I get regular emails from them. You talk about a great reminder of how good we have it? Start getting that. There's a video I'm going to show you in a few weeks um, of this lady giving testimony to her suffering for the Lord and the gospel. It's, it's just amazing. We have, we have a lot to be thankful for. Okay? Church is different now. People are spread out. Not everyone's in the same room. But listen, if this is as bad as it gets, it's okay. There are a lot of people out there that aren't even able to meet. Are you listening to me? Get Voice of the Martyrs. You'll really be encouraged. You'll start doing this after you get it. Oh, my goodness, Lord, do I have a lot to confess. I am so sorry I'm complaining about this. Help me to be thankful. It's great. James chapter 5. This is one you may not have necessarily looked at before in detail. He says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Who's the judge? Class, do you know? All judgment was given by the Father to who? John chapter 5. The Son. When we live the Christian life, we need to remember that. This is what happens a lot of times. I'm going to live, this is the temptation, I'm going to live to please men. Right? Can we agree that's the temptation? What should we be doing as believers? Living to what? The glory of the Lord to please Him in all we do. Right? Because one day, we are all going to stand before the Lord. Can you imagine that? Thad Blunt, your turn. Woo! All stand before the Lord. And listen, if you're in here today and you don't know Christ, you're going to stand before Him too. Except you're going to stand condemned. I'm sure glad I'm going to be at the Bema Seat judgment. I'm not going to be condemned. He's taken care of my sins. I've trusted him as my Savior. But I will be judged. Okay, that's very important to know. So he says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Read Hebrews 11. You'll find mention of some of, some of the prophets that endured to the end, all right? He says, we count those blessed who what? Endured. Then he says, you have heard of the endurance of Job. How many of you know Job had a rough life? He was blessed, but it was rough, right? And in one chapter we have as we read it in our Bibles, it's like, whoa. He went from all these kids to these servants to all these possessions to wow. He's got his wife 
People say, well, at least he had his wife. Yeah, but then you go to chapter 2, and what does he tell, what does she tell Job? Curse God and die. So he's got, he had a lot on his plate, all right? It says, you've heard of the endurance of Job, and it should say and, have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, when you're reading this verse, all right, are you expecting this in the end? No. But you know what we need to think about when we're living the Christian life and going through trials and tribulations and we're continuing to walk to the glory of the Lord? Remember that in those times of trials and tribulations, our Lord is full of compassion and mercy. How many of you could testify to that? That God has been merciful to you in times where you've been like, man, Lord, what next? But the Lord is faithful. Faithful to those whom he's called. And listen to me. He's not going to put on our plates more than we can handle. And I used to wonder about that as a Christian. What does that mean? And I found it to be practically this in my Christian life. That when I've had trials and tribulations in my life, the Lord has been overwhelmingly gracious to me. Providing me primarily his word to encourage me, but other believers who walk beside me and encourage me. Right? How important is that? Very important. Okay? So, those are just a few of verses that speak about this issue of endurance, which is a consistent theme in the New Testament. Now, let me give you some observations as it relates to um, this particular section that we're looking at in 2 Timothy. All right, the second promise in this passage is if and since are in view of the fact. In other words, if we endure, and here's the promise, we shall also reign with him. All right? Um, and we, when we look at that issue of reigning with him, I mean, you're going to just be blown away. I'm blown away at that thought. I mean, he's the only one worthy to reign, and, and he's going to actually have some who will reign with him in that um, millennial kingdom. So we'll look at that uh, together next time. Let me give you some observations as it relates to this word endure. There's three of them I want to give you. First of all, the definition of endure is bearing up under a heavy load or intense pressure. Any of you ever had that in your life? Heavy load, intense pressure. Maybe you have it right now. You know, how do we handle those things? Remember in the context of the passage, we don't ever need to forget this, that Paul is not saying to Timothy, hey, buddy, you can do it. He's not saying that. He's saying to him in chapter 2, verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The strength that I need to get through trials and tribulations comes from his grace, his favor in my life. It is not as I pull up my pants and go, I can do it. It's never our strength. It's his strength. Okay? And we understand in the context of the passage, Paul's going through this intense pressure in his life. I mean, he's about to have his, his head cut off. Right? I mean, he's in this dark dungeon for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> and if anyone could write this to Timothy, it would be Paul. Hey, Paul. 
Endure, buddy. Endure. Endure in the strength of the Lord. The word, it's interesting, the word picture is a military, is a military term referring to holding a vital position at all costs. So that's one of the pictures of this word endure. And I ran across this story that so, uh, it just so illustrates what Paul is saying to Timothy. So it's a military term referring to an army holding a position. On June 12, 1944, just six days after D-Day in World War II, a young lieutenant named Richard Winters led his men to the outskirts of Keratin, which is in France, which I know I'm not pronouncing right. They, the French don't pronounce many of their letters, but I'm going to pronounce it that way. As the officer in charge of Easy Company of the 101st Airborne, he was tasked to clear the large French town of its German defenders. It would be a small battle, but it played a significant role in ridding, ridding the world of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. As Winters led his company up the road toward the town, the company started taking machine gun fire. So bullets are coming their way as they advance upon the city. Instinctively, the men jump into these ditches, but are very much exposed. They were easy targets. What happened next proved to be the turning point in that battle. In fact, one author put it this way. This is the stuff legends are made of. Lieutenant Winters got up, went into the middle of the road, and with bullets whistling past him, started yelling at his troops to get up out of the ditches and engage the enemy. So here's the picture. They're being shot at. He gets out of the ditch. He stands in the middle of the road. He starts taking fire. Bullets are passing by him, and his men come out of the ditches to make a stand. And you know what the rest of that story is? They continued to advance upon the city in victory. They stood and they took the shots that were given to them. How many do that? How many are willing to take the shots? The bullets that are passing by, that are whistling by. Well, Lieutenant Winters did. And his men did. And some died. Some didn't advance. Some did. But as the leader, he got out of the ditch and he stood in the road and he was willing to take the shots. You know what this means? Question. Are you and I willing to stand in the middle of the road as shots are being fired upon us because we stand for the gospel of Christ and the glory of God and his word and his truth? Are we willing to take the shots? You say, Thad, how practical is that? It's becoming more and more. The church today is taking shots. Shots for standing for the gospel. Is it popular that there's only one way to heaven? And that's through Christ? Is it popular to say to people, hey, listen, you can do better. You can do it. You can just do it. And one day you'll end up in the presence of God. That's a great message, isn't it? Right? Who wouldn't want to hear that? 
That's acceptable to a lot of people in our world. But for you to look at them with the love of the Lord and say, hey, listen, I have the same problem as you. I'm a sinner. I've got good news for you. There's one that took my place, took that sin on himself, and that's Jesus Christ. And he died for you, and he died for me. And if you trust in him as your Savior, you'll have everlasting life. Sound good? To some. But did you know that the author of Corinthians, Paul, says that the gospel is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. Doesn't make sense. So the question then for us is, as it was for Timothy, are we willing to stand in the middle of the road and take the hardship? You know, Paul, in an earlier letter that we have in 2 Corinthians, gives us some things to think about as it relates to persecution and suffering and endurance. Look at what he says about his life and Timothy's life. Because if you go back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians, it, it says Paul, an apostle, and Timothy. So when you see that little uh, pronoun there, we, he's at least talking about himself and Timothy. Notice what he says. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I did a word study on these just so that it would be meaningful to you. That word afflicted there, when Paul says we are afflicted in every way, that word means pressed together. It means to be rubbed the wrong way. It's like having two people, one on this side of me and, the, and the, another on this side, pushing in against me. With what? Things that are in opposition to the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, we have been rubbed the wrong way. You ever been rubbed the wrong way by people? You know, the unbeliever is rubbed wrong every time we mention the word sin. They're rubbed wrong. I mean, who doesn't want to hear? I heard a guy preaching this week on the radio, and he made the statement. Who doesn't want to hear the message, hey, just do a little better. It'll be all right. God will accept you. I mean, you... That sounds good, but it's not right. So, Paul and Timothy were experiencing this being pressed in from people as they stood for the gospel. Notice he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. That word perplexed is an interesting word in the original language. It means to be at a loss. It literally means to come to the end where you're at a loss for words. In other words, you have nothing else to say. That sounds weird, doesn't it? He says, perplexed but not despairing. Have you ever come to the end with someone, with your words? Where there's just nothing else to say? Any of you ever experienced that? Where you've given them everything that you know to give them from this book. And then they look at you and go, isn't there something else? You ever had that happen to you? I've had that happen to me. Isn't there something else, Thad? I wouldn't pass for the greatest counselor in the world. But I've sat with many people in 30 years. And I've had people look at me and say, Thad, isn't there something else? Isn't there another way? 
You know, and I sit there and I'll, no, no, there's not. Not that I know of. Is that hard to hear? Uh-huh, it is. It is hard to hear. I've sat with many parents who are looking for ways to discipline their children. God speaks about a way. Doesn't he, class? Answer, yes. I've had parents sit in my office and say, Thad, I'm just at the end of myself. I don't know what else to do. I actually had one lady one time in New York State who said, Thad, I've had enough. I know what I need to do. The Lord is, I need to spank my son. I said, hallelujah, I'll be right there. She asked me to come witness it because her and her husband had been divorced and he was in fifth grade at the time. And I went to the house and she said, if you could just watch me spanking. I thought, man, I, when you're done, I want to spank him too. She, she sat there and she looked at that boy and never spanked him. She said, that I just can't do it. Needless to say, that didn't turn out so well. Hey, guys, there are times when we come to the end of ourselves when we're counseling people and we don't know what else to tell them. But can I tell you something? Please don't ever move away from this. We don't have permission to do that. We don't have permission to tell somebody, well, I think this is what you should do. This is better wisdom than God. I mean, who do we think we are? God has given us clearly in his word directives for how we treat our wives and how wives are to treat their husbands and how fathers are to raise their children and what we're to think about when we think about the unborn and what we're to think about when we think about marriage. We do not have permission to change things. But we live in a culture that's just fine with changing things. And guys, listen, I believe like no other time in our history as a country... It's coming. It's coming. You can take it to the bank. It's coming. And if you're going to be one to stand in the middle of that road and take bullets, you know what? You may not receive glory from man, but you'll have the opportunity to glorify God. How's that sound? He says, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. It's interesting when he says persecuted but not forsaken it literally means that Paul and Timothy were being persecuted and were continuing to be persecuted it's not like he's talking about a one time event it's continual but notice what he says struck down that means to be brought low or humiliated who likes that who likes to be brought low nobody we're prideful people we want to be on top look at me that's what amazes me so much about the life of Christ. I mean, Mark sums it up, doesn't he? Chapter 10, verse 45. He did not come to be what? Ministered to, but to minister. And to give his life as a ransom. That makes no sense. But it does if you understand the context of Scripture, that he loved us so much. Well, Paul says struck down but not destroyed, always carried about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 
For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus. What? I thought the Christian life was this nice, rosy road. It's not. In fact, it can get pretty ugly. But you know who's on that road with you? The Lord. He's with you. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Observation number one. Observation number two. The word endures present tense. You say, what's the big deal? Well, Paul is saying this. Timothy, endure now and keep enduring. He's not saying, look, this is this one-time thing you have to do, and then you're done. It's not a sprint, the Christian life. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? Any of you ever run long distance? I ran track in high school. I would run short distances, but I also ran long distances. Ask me what I like better. Short distance. The race was over like that. I'd run the 100, I ran the 200, I ran the 400. When it got to the 800, which is twice around, I'm like, eh, no thanks. But then I ran cross country. And we'd run 5Ks, which is 3.1 miles. And if you're going to run 3.1 miles... You can't just start today and go, I'm going to go start and run in three miles. It's just not going to happen like that. And I would run 3.1 miles, and I got pretty decent at it. And then I remember one time entering a 10K. You know what a 10K is? 6.2 miles. But 3.1 was really, really good compared to 6.2. And do you know who passed me in that race? My father. He was in his 40s. I was pretty young, and he just whooped me. And he told me after the race, he said, Dad, you know why I beat you? I said, boy, I mean, I really want, want to hear from your father. You know why I beat you? He said, I beat you because you didn't pace yourself. You ran hard the first mile and a half, two miles, but you ran out of gas. Guys, we've been called to a marathon filled with potholes and challenges. I put um, something here for you to think about. That's why I put Thad on the bottom. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll use quotes all the time, like, hey, Thad made this one. <laughs> I put this, remaining under hardship is the call of the believer to endure moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year, until he calls us home. Does that sound okay? That's difficult. Because you don't know what's around the corner. But we know who is around the corner. And that's Christ. Third observation from 2 Timothy chapter 2. In view of the context, endurance seems to be closely connected to three themes. Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the word of God. You say, Thad, where do you get that? Glad you asked. Look back up in verse 8 of this chapter. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, descended of David, according to what? My gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Verse 10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. So in those three verses are those three themes. themes. Jesus Christ, the gospel, in the Word of God. So you know what he's telling Timothy? Listen to this. He's saying, hey, Timothy, endure. Jesus did. 
Did Jesus endure to the end? Answer, yes. Secondly, he's saying, hey, Timothy, endure because the gospel is powerful and it changes lives. Is that true? Answer, yes. And Timothy, endure knowing the word of God is never imprisoned. Now you say, why is that important? Well, you have to have something connected to endurance. I mean, if you just say to somebody, hey, endure. Okay, but it needs something attached to it. Paul gives Timothy attachments. He says, endure because of Jesus Christ. He's your example. Endure because of the gospel. It changes lives. And endure because of the word of God, which is never imprisoned, Timothy. You say, well, I need more than that. That's what we got. That's it right there. And that's enough. We endure for those things, which leads to this question that I want us to consider this morning. All right, as we come kind of to the application piece. How should these truths impact the believer's life? All right, those things. That our endurance is connected to Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the word of God. Knowing that suffering's coming. How should these truths impact the believer's life? First of all, the believer always needs to remember and reflect on the life of the Lord Jesus who endured to the end. Aren't you glad he endured to the end? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. He endured to the end. In fact, the author of Hebrews says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him did what? He endured the cross. You say, well, how bad could that have been? Have you ever read about Roman persecution and the cross? And you know that began with flogging, right? You remember the story of the death of Christ? And they would literally put lamb's teeth and metal parts on the whip. And they would take that whip and they would drive it into the flesh of the criminal. And they would rip it. Which means their insides were exposed. That's just part of the cross. Leading up to the cross, they mocked him. They spit on him. They drove stakes into his hands and his feet. They thrust a sword in his side. They put a crown of thorns on him, and they mocked him. Hey, if you're the king, get off the cross. <laughs> Remember what the, one of the sayings of the Lord just absolutely confounds me. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you know there are people today that are spitting on the name of Christ? They're thrusting a sword in his side. Do you know that the Lord may call you or me to endure suffering? That we look at and go, man, Lord, I just can't do it, and you can't do it. But the Lord can take you through the suffering. He is the example. He's not an example. He is the example. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And here it is. Here's the victory. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know what he's waiting on? The time when he'll come and get his church. Secondly, the believer should faithfully... Scatter seed and water seed throughout the world. You know, 
That's what Paul and Timothy were committed to. That's what the apostles were committed to. So why not the church? You sit here today and say, well, yeah, Thad, the church is spreading the gospel. Really? Do you know what the Great Commission is? How many of you know before I show the verses? Raise your hand. You know? There it is. There's the Great Commission. In the middle of that, it says, Go therefore and make disciples. In, in the original language, it says, As you are going, make disciples. So in other words, as you're living life, make disciples. Of all the nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I did some research, and I'm like, well, yeah, everybody knows about the Great Commission and the responsibilities that Paul and Timothy faithfully discharged. And then I ran across this doing some research. Barna Research Group did a study in 2018. Look what it says. 51% of churchgoers are unfamiliar with the Great Commission. Do you believe that? I do. I absolutely believe it. That's just churchgoers. People who come in and show up. Okay? 51%. You know, one of the distinctives of this church is that we are committed to that as a church. We have missionaries around the world that are faithfully disseminating the gospel and we support them through prayer and financial giving. Here's the question. Are we individually committed to the Great Commission? That's the question. We had a meeting Thursday night, an elders meeting, and one of the elders was praying and just confessing. Lord, I, I'm not sharing the gospel enough. And it just so broke me. I was like, Lord, I'm not either. But we've been charged to, have we not? 25% of churchgoers are familiar with the Great Commission, but don't, don't know the exact meaning. And then 17% of churchgoers are familiar with the Great Commission and accept the responsibility that's given. So that's just a personal challenge. It becomes a personal challenge when you look at these statistics. Are we committed to spreading the gospel and discipling people? And I said first service, and I'll say this real quick. We can be committed to sharing the gospel, and we need to be. And when people get saved, what do we do with them? Class... Thank you. We don't dump them over the edge of a cliff or we don't dump them out of the boat. We get in the boat with them. We climb the rocks with them. Whatever it is we're doing, we do life with them, illustrating for them the life of Christ. Right? That's what we do. That's discipleship. It's interesting. When I did some research on this, I ran into this quote. Did you know D.L. Moody, without radio or television, reached 100 million people? That's without radio and television. That's a lot of people. You say, with that, how do we reach people? Can I give you something real quick to think about? I won't tell the full story, but I want you to think about this. We can reach the people that we come in contact with, not just through verbal communication, all right? Not just face-to-face, -face, but now we have a tool that you might even have 
that you're holding beside your Bible, and it is your phone. You say, that we can reach people through messaging? Absolutely we can. I started a Bible study with my three sons just about two months ago. We don't see each other. We all live in different spots. We're doing it over the phone. Not talking, but texting. We started in the Gospel of John. I, I just threw it out there to them. I had no idea how they would respond. And guess what? They all responded. And they all have different personalities. And my oldest is very analytical. So we started studying the Gospel of John. I get my observations from Micah, who's the middle one, and Andrew, who's the youngest. But I get them from Caleb, and it's just a book. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You see, there's a lot of ways now. And we can look at the phone and go, well, we're just not. I'm, no, we can't disseminate the gospel that way and have a bad attitude about it. Or we can go, hey, look, it's a tool. And what do we do with tools? We use them. God's given us an interesting tool these days to disseminate the gospel of Christ. All right, one more observation and we're done. The believer's mind should be enduring to the end in view of those who know Christ and those who will come to Christ. That's from verse 10 in chapter 2 where he says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ and with it eternal glory. Right? And so we endure the suffering and the trials and the tribulations for those who come to Christ and those who are watching our lives, which every believer is watching every believer. That's what happens. But the unbeliever is also watching our lives. I don't have time to get into it today. I thought I would. I'd planned to. But the key to endurance is being spiritually minded. You want to endure... Be spiritually minded. Be strong in the Lord, but practically be spiritually minded. I have an assignment for you for next week. I want you to read 1 Corinthians, or the next time I'm here, I won't be here next Sunday. But the next time I'm here, which will be two Sundays from now, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, begin in verse 12, and go through chapter 3, verse 9. Because we're going to talk about how that looks being spiritually minded because those who are spiritually minded endure to the end I've got one quote for you and it'll be done Alistair Begg, I don't know how many of you listened to Alistair Begg but I enjoy listening to Alistair Begg I mean, if you like accents you can listen to Alex, Alistair Begg he says endurance is a key indicator of spiritual fitness so how fit are you would you say that our country is just like, has this, I want to be fit, physical mentality? Mm, I think in some places and for some people. I mean, a lot of commercials are built around, hey, you need to eat this, you don't need to eat this, you need to do this exercise, you don't need to do that exercise, right? It, that's how our country is. And we want to be fit and we want to be trim. That's what we want to be. But in the Christian life, we also have the responsibility to be fit. You say, well, that, how does that look? I'm going to tell you how it looks. We are better spiritually fit when we're thinking about Christ and his life. We're spiritually fit more when we are committed to disseminating the gospel. And we are spiritually fit more 
when we are holding on to this book and saying, Lord, you speak to me in my life. What is it that you want me to do that I'm not doing? That's how we do it. And we do it for the glory of the Lord. All right, well, let's pray together. I want you to bow with me, and I want to give you just a couple of minutes to think about maybe how your life and your walk is going. I asked you earlier the question as we started, you know, how's that look in your life? How's your walk? And um, I think it's important from time to time to consider that. How is our walk with the Lord? So I'm just going to give you a minute to just kind of bow and you have time with the Lord and then I'll close our time in prayer. And after I pray, you'll be dismissed, right? Lord, it matters how we live. It matters how we die. There was a lady in the church years ago that um, contracted cancer. And her name was Mavis Vines. And when I think about somebody who lived to your glory and endured to the end, her name comes to my mind. She was just so sold out to you and had a wonderful testimony even when she first was made aware of her cancer and all the things that she went through. She certainly is an example of one who endured to the end. She did well. Lord, she was a great example for me. I think about a man named Tim and... um, New York State who was in his 40s and he died of cancer and I watched him how he went through to the end and he finished well Lord none of us are guaranteed another day so finishing for us may be today we don't know but I pray that you would help us to live our lives for your honor and for your glory and no matter what we're going through in this life that we will have on our minds how our Lord and Savior endured to the end, that we will have on our minds the importance of sharing the hope of the gospel with people, and that we would have on our minds, Lord, your word, because it is never imprisoned. It's powerful and it's sharp and it penetrates. Might we today examine ourselves, first of all, to see if we're in the faith, and if we are, Lord, help us to examine our lives before you. Help us to be encouraged by those who finished well and help us to run the race in a way that honors you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to see everyone today. Thank you for that. We look forward, Lord, to the day that we will see you face-to-face in all your glory if we know you. And we will always forever be with you. May we honor you today in whatever comes our way. In the name of Christ, amen. You are dismissed. Pick up your boxes.